0: Well, we're in sort of towards the end of a series on living as Jesus did, uh, so we need to look at how Jesus lived, and then see if we can live like that, or at least something like that. Last week it was uh, a spirit-led life, and it's one of the things that I've focused on for or we have for years and years, being led by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we need to live from the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, but my topic is <laughs> living a word-centered life. Now, so I need to say at the beginning, these are not in opposition to each other, right? We live in the Spirit, but with the Word as well. What it means is we need to have the Word of God in us. We need to know the Word of God. And so when we're living in the Spirit, we can then test things by how our spirit feels about it. Sometimes it feels comfortable, sometimes uncomfortable. We might call it peace or dispeace, But we should be able to test these things with the Scriptures that we know. Uh, if you don't know your scriptures, you can find yourself in quite a difficult situation sometimes. So that's not a uh, criticism of you, but uh, I'm going to go through lots of scriptures. Uh, Rob reminded me of a phrase I use, and that's death by PowerPoint. I don't know whether you've heard of that, but um, when I was a teacher, we had so many training sessions, and it's PowerPoint after PowerPoint, and each one had numerous bullet points, and at the end of it, you just thought, oh, I can't remember any of it. Um, so today, we've only got 32 slides to show you, Okay, <laughs> uh, but they will go rather fast. So out with your Bibles, both of you. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, actually, I, I presume that a lot won't have the Bibles with them, uh, seems to be the way these days. Uh, so most of these are going up on the screen. So... Uh, we're going to look at Jesus' uh, sort of understanding of the Scriptures and how he used them in his life. I'm only going to give you a few examples. You can probably find loads more if you research it. How did Jesus come to know his Scriptures so well? Some people say he was probably taught by Gamaliel, who, was, who instructed Paul uh, l- later on, I suppose. Uh, but I think you'll find somewhere that it says that he wasn't taught by man at all, he was taught by God. And you'll be amazed how much he knew. Now, I don't know how much of the scriptures you know. The Old Testament this is, of course, because he didn't have a New Testament. How much of it do you know? Have you read all the books of the Old Testament? Jesus did. So did Paul, I would think. But I'm going to show you how he knew the scriptures, but he knew how to apply them and when to apply them. So we're going to start off uh, with the first time we, we come across Jesus quoting the Scriptures. I expect some of you can tell me. You are allowed to shout if, out if you know the answer to what I'm asking, but don't worry, I'm going to tell you the answer anyway. Uh, the first one, as you can see on the screen, was when Jesus went into the wilderness straight after his baptism, and he fasted for 40 days. Now, after 40 days of fasting... There is one thing that you are not, and that is hungry. You're n- you don't want food, apparently. I've not done it for 40 days, but apparently you don't want food. He would have, he would have drunk, because you die after about three or four days if you don't drink. So he would have drunk, but he didn't eat. Uh, so he, apparently you get to that point where you just don't particularly want food, but and you come to the point where you've got to start taking it in. So the devil comes along to him and says, look... I can, I can turn all these stones to bread for you. How about that? And Jesus said, "You see it up there, in red." No, he didn't say it in red. He said, "It is written." Does anyone know what "it is written" means? It's in the scriptures. Someone said that. Thank you, Michelle. It's in the Scriptures. That's what it is written means. It's in the Scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, he's, you'll find that in Matthew 4.4, 4, but he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. We're going to rush through these fairly quickly. We're on now to jumping off the temple. Uh, that's the next thing uh, the devil invited him to do. He said, "Go on, he took him up to the highest place uh, and said, uh, "Okay, how about jumping off this? Because the angels will catch you. No problem. Jesus answered, based on Deuteronomy 6:16, 6, "It is also written. It's in the Bible. That's the authority. Do not put the Lord your God, to the test." Now, I have heard of people deliberately picking up snakes and other things. You know, because there's a verse in there that's in the Bible that says that uh, you know, you'll, you'll be bitten by snakes and not die. It happened to Paul, actually. He was bitten by a snake and didn't die from it. But people actually test God by, trying, by doing these things. and think, That's not the point. It's not the point. He's protecting you. He's not daring you. On to the next one. Number three, this is a bit smaller. Can you read that all right? Sorry about the left side of the screen. It's because of the um, lamp and the projector that's not very good. Okay, says Satan, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world because they're mine. I can give them all to you. All, you haven't got to do much to get this. All you've got to do is worship me. No, you can't say that to Jesus. So Jesus said, it is written... Do not, no, not, not that one. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So what he's saying is I only serve God. I'm not serving you. And at that point, the devil gave up and he left him. A nice thing there, it says and angels came and ministered to Jesus. I wouldn't mind that sometimes. So run now. I'm going to look now at how he... Spoke with the Pharisees. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, interaction is between him and the Pharisees um, because they were the people who consider themselves to know the law, how to apply it, and make sure everybody else applied it. The only trouble is, not only was it the Ten Commandments, but also the, the other 603 commandments that are in the Bible. Uh, though you might say they're lesser commandments, they're not, not really commandments, they're instructions. The, the Ten Commandments, it's, te- it's the instructions. The book of the Law is the book of instruction: how to live, how to live a pure life as a, a community. But they would apply these laws and they apply them to a letter, plus all their own interpretations of them, and it was told, you know, like the Sabbath day, you know, you, you, they would tell you how far you could actually walk on the Sabbath, what weight you could lift, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus wasn't overly impressed because they missed the point. So they tried to catch him out several times. This is just one of them in Matthew 22, if you're following it in your Bible. Teacher you, th- you think somehow you know a question is, a trick question is coming. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, we probably think of the Ten Commandments, yes, and you, I suspect you know them off by heart, except so you can never remember which one is which. And Jesus replied, now how is he going to reply to this one? This is a real difficult one, because they're all important. Which is the greatest commandment? So he, he was clever. He didn't answer that question, not quite. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but then he went on. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, and all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything else comes out of it. Not murdering and uh, loving your parents. Is that a commandment? All these other commandments, they all come out of actually serving God, loving the Lord your God, and loving your neighbour as yourself. That means you treat your neighbour how you like them to treat you. So he didn't quite answer it as they thought, because they were going to catch him out. Because if he, he'd said... Uh, any one of them, they would say, well, what about this one? Isn't this important? So, But they didn't catch him out, and they really had no answer. Moving on. Sometimes he would quote Old Testament scriptures to the people he was with because it applied to them. And now there's a really serious one here, and this is for the Pharisees, who had the appearance of being spiritual, but they weren't. They were just applying laws, and they weren't actually really worshipping the true God. So in Isaiah 56, it says, I will bring... Now, Isaiah wouldn't have known what he was talking about, really. Don't forget, he's a prophet, never heard of Jesus, didn't know who Jesus was. He knew a Messiah was coming. That was about it. He says, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples... That's not just for the Jews. That's for all peoples. And then in Jeremiah, we read, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This was prophetic. It hasn't happened. Prophecies in the Old Testament are often written in the present tense, even though they haven't happened. Sometimes in the past tense, even though they haven't happened. They're prophecies. And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says to them, and the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honour me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear for me is a commandment taught by men. So he's talking about the Pharisees here, talking directly to them. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, there's a prophecy from sort of 500 years before, 600 years before, and that's applied to, to us? Surely not. We're the, we're the spiritual leaders. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, "The people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." So he knew his scriptures, didn't he? He knew Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. He's quoting one verse. There's a lot in uh, uh, Jeremiah as well. And Ezekiel, he knew the whole lot. But we'll come to that a little bit more later. Now another one he said, uh, this isn't a criticism in in the same way, not quite so direct. He told a parable about servants running a vineyard. And how they uh, didn't do very well. And he said, have you never read the scriptures? Now he quotes Psalm 118 here. And you'll find it in Matthew 21. Have you not read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it's marvellous in our eyes. What he's saying is, you are rejecting me and I am the cornerstone. They probably didn't understand, in a sense, although they did realize he was talking about them. It says afterwards. If you want to read that up, Matthew 21. it's very good. I'm rushing through these because I've got to get finished in time. Now, early on in his ministry, uh, Jesus went to the uh, synagogue in his own hometown, which was Nazareth, as he would usually do if he was in the area. And this one, this passage I'm going to do is, I think this is the one that's a bit longer. It is actually, it goes on for for about seven slides, but don't worry. It's a a good story, and I want to do this one a little bit more fully, uh, just to illustrate one or two things. So Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. On a Sabbath day all Jews would go to the synagogue. He stood up to read. Now, you think, what? He's just visiting, and now he's standing up and speaking to everybody. Well, this was the custom, apparently. There would be a reading from the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. And then someone would be invited to stand and read another scripture, uh, which they felt was relevant, appropriate, and make a comment on it. Incidentally, just so you know, the Law and the Prophets, the Law was the first five books of the Bible, which we all know off by heart. Yeah? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five also called the books of Moses. The rest of the Bible in the Hebrew Bible is called the Prophets. Everything in some places. Some of them also have the writings. But uh, So when Jesus talks about the Law and the Prophets, he means the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, which is our Old Testament, and the Prophets is everything else. Okay, so, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Okay, so he's got a choice here of 66 chapters. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. This is chapter 61. Now, I don't think he went right through from chapter 1 to find it. I think he knew where it was. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Who read that earlier on? I thought he'd pinched my talk. Rich read it early on, but he, he stopped after a verse or two. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. <laughs> no comments on it. That was it. Now, he was reading Isaiah 61. You can read that account in Luke chapter 4. He rolled the scroll up and gave it back and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Then he did speak. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was he saying? What was he saying? He's saying, that's me that's me, I am the one, the spirit of the Lord is on me, he's anointed me, and these people in Nazareth were privileged to hear it, all spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips, isn't this Joseph's son, you know, Joseph the carpenter, builder, whatever he was, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, I've slipped in a bit from Matthew here, because Luke doesn't give a full version, but Matthew gives a bit more. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Where did he learn all this? Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum, which was up north. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his home town. Remember this was his hometown where he'd lived, not where he was born, it's where he lived. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. They, they couldn't believe it. this guy who was just the son of Joseph and Mary and got the brothers and sisters. That we, know the fa- we know the family. It can't be him. He can't be the one. And he said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown, although he's accepted elsewhere. And then he goes on to talk something interesting to show he knew his Bible very well. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet... Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, which was not in Israel. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. They understood what he was saying. He was saying, there's no faith here. It's not going to happen here. You're not going to get it on demand. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard it. They're just saying what a great guy he was. And now they're furious because they realize he's having a go at them. And they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So... Jesus was very familiar with the accounts of Elijah's and Elisha's ministries in the book of Kings, and obviously the whole of the book of Kings. I'm just going to quote one other Old Testament uh, verse to you, Matthew 24. After, uh, no, before uh, Jesus was crucified, he had a last chat with his disciples, and they, they said to him, look, we know you're coming back. I mean, you haven't even gone at this stage, but we know you're going to come back. But can you tell us how, how we know the sign? What's the signs of your coming? When will it be? And he quotes from the prophet Daniel. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, I don't know whether Jesus said that or whether Matthew slipped that in. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. My point is this. He knew the prophet Daniel and he expected his disciples to know the prophet Daniel's writings and they are difficult to understand, some of them. Okay, so the lion's den's is easy. Shadok, Mishan, Abnego. Ab- Ab- we all know the story of the fiery furnace. But later on in Daniel, there's prophecies there which came from Gabriel, who's God's messenger, uh, to Daniel and gave him some very accurate prophecies about the coming days and years. And so Jesus presumed that his disciples would know Daniel, the book of Daniel. And he says that's the thing to look out for. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, that is some evil man who's ruling the world and sets himself up in the temple as God. When you see that, you'll know that my return is close. Okay, moving on. This one isn't uh, quoting the Old Testament. No, this is where I personally got really blessed preparing this. I think I said the other day to someone that I think when you prepare a talk, you get more out of it than the people that you're talking to uh, because you have to thoroughly research it and suddenly something dawns on you. This is uh, on the road to Emmaus. No scroll in his hand. Jesus has been resurrected at this point and there's a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he just draws up alongside them. Luke 24. Then, beginning with Moses, now that would be the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning with those books, and through all the prophets, so that's the rest of the whole Bible, as they had it, no New Testament, remember, but it's still a lot, he interpreted for them all the passages from the scriptures that pertained to him. They didn't know who he was. That must have been a long walk. Because there's masses of them. In the, and it says all, all the scriptures. I think I, I chose a different translation there. It's from a Catholic Bible, which I think is probably the best translation of the lot for that particular verse. So if it doesn't quite match I'm sorry about that. So, Jesus had a complete knowledge of the whole of the Hebrew Bible, as far as I can see, and he was able to quote it when he was in debate, in debate or he was in a situation. He knew which verse to take. It came to mind. He was living in the Spirit, his spirit was alive to it, and when he was prompted by the Holy Spirit with a particular verse or passage, he could quote it. Um, he knew that. Now, this is what really got me, I think. If he knew all the scriptures about him and before he was crucified, he knew them, he knew the end from the beginning. Now we quite glibly say he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Father says that in Revelation. You may think it's only the Father. Jesus says it as well. I am the Alpha and the Omega. They're both the beginning and the end. He knows the end. So he knows that he is going to rule on David's throne he knows he's going to be crucified cursed is he who hangs on a tree he knew he was going to ride into town on a donkey he knew everything that was going to happen he knew not only that he was going to be crucified, he knew he was going to rise from the dead after three days like like, um, Jonah in the whale, he said he knew it all And that's what amazes me. And that's why it says that for the joy that was set before him, he knew that he was going to be raised from the dead and he was going to become king of kings, going to rule over the whole of creation. He knew that. And so because of the joy of that, he could endure the cross and the shame that came with it. That's in Hebrews chapter 2. Sorry, Karen's just (laughs) mouthing at me. I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, So there's just a few things. But for me, the thing that hit me was he knew everything about his own life before he even lived it. Uh, It was just amazing to me. Uh, And there are many, many scriptures in the Old Testament which refer to Jesus. Not by name, because they didn't know him by name. All that he's described as a branch four times or five times in the prophets he's described as my son my servant all these kinds of things but this is the messiah and he knew who they were and the jews actually knew that someone was coming it's just that the pharisees didn't recognize him when he came it's very sad now we need to move on and say okay jesus knew his scriptures How can we apply this to us? I can't learn the whole Bible. I'm hopeless at learning these things. I can sort of remember a scripture, maybe. I can't remember where it came from. I can't remember it completely, but I vaguely know it. And I have to then start going through the concordance and find it's not in there. Then I have to go online and try and find it there. Okay? A warning about going online. (laughs) A warning about going online. You'll find lots of rubbish there. But in amongst it, there are some gems. And if you want to know passages in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus, you'll probably find a complete list. But be warned, there are some traps on the internet. So, are we going to live a word centered life? Now, things are slightly different for us. Jesus, for him, the word was what we call the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew Bible. But he was living in a different culture from what we're living in. He was Jewish. He was living amongst Jews. They were God's chosen people. They were a nation, the only nation, as far as I know, who were identified by their relationship with God. All other nations have come about in other ways. Their their identity is simply because they are God's chosen people. And so, even if they're not practicing, they will, be, they will have a sort of an awareness of God somehow. Okay? It won't be unfamiliar to them. And of course, a lot of the people he mixed with were those who were believers, were practicing Jews. Maybe they're a bit legalistic, but they went to synagogue every, every Sabbath, and so on. They learned their scriptures. What are we living in? We're living in a Gentile context. We're not even living in a Jewish country. It's post-Christian, I would say. When I was a boy, I think you would have called it Christian country. Not that the majority were Christian, but just the laws and so on. We'd say post-Christian now. Many, many people have never heard of Jesus. Or if they have, they don't know who he was. They just only know he's a swear word. They have no awareness of God and know little about Jesus. And it's a consumer society. It's totally different from what Jesus lived in. So the question is, how can we live a word-centered life? We can't go around quoting these scriptures that he did. They're relevant to them but not relevant to us. So what are we going to do? Well, there's another slight complication because the word, actually, for us, the word, we've got the whole Bible, yes, but the word is Jesus. He is the word, So if I'm going to live a word-centered life, that's a Jesus-centered life. How do we know that? John chapter 1. This is a fabulous verse. A few verses. John chapter 1. Can you read it? Sort of. In the beginning was the word. Sorry, just to remember, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He considered himself to be Jesus' best friend. I don't know whether it worked the other way. But... uh, he, he loved uh, Jesus. He feels that Jesus loved him. I think he sat next to him at the Last Supper. Um, and if you read John's Gospel, it's different from the others. Uh, it really focuses very much on proving that Jesus is the Messiah that they were longing for, and that he is God. So in the beginning was the Word. okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now if you're reading this and don't know anything else, you think, what on earth is going on here? He was with God in the beginning. Who is this person? Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now we're The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. We've heard many talks, I think, about a light. A light just immediately uh, overcomes darkness. We jump to 14, because the next little bit is about John the Baptist. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Ah, that's obviously Jesus. So you go back, in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was Jesus, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end as well. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen his glory. I can, I'm wondering whether actually John was uh, referring back to the transfiguration when Jesus appeared on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, because John was there, and they saw him in, all, in glory. Maybe just his life, they felt, was seeing him in his glory. I don't know, but a, a wonderful few verses there, and well worth the read any time to cheer you up, <laughs> uh, to reassure you. Now, of course, as well as Jesus being the Word, we now have the whole Bible. We have the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament Scriptures as well. So we can use them. So if we're going to be Jesus-centered, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to know the Scriptures. Now, I'm not saying you've got to know all the Scriptures. There are some books, I'll be quite honest, there's no need for you to read them. read them if you want try Habakkuk you know it's fine but it won't actually help you an awful lot in this life you know some of the books in the Old Testament are directly uh, aimed actually one of them is directly aimed at a different country not Israel at all but there are some books which I would say get stuck in and for me John if this was Rob speaking it would be Mark another day, it might be Luke for me. It depends what you're looking for. But for me, John's gospel is fantastic. Um, His debates with the Pharisees are so good. Um, And some people call it, say, Matthew, because Matthew shows how Jesus is the Messiah, uses lots of Old Testament quotations. Uh, So, you know, read them all. I think that was suggested recently, actually, on a Sunday morning, go and read the gospels. So, we need to live in the spirit i mean we 've got to trust the Holy Spirit uh, witnesses in us you know when we 're doing right, and might be led to go and say something, do something whatever and sometimes, when we get into something we shouldn 't be, you get this unease. you know that feeling it 's difficult to describe. I called it a dis i don 't think there 's a word, but there you go it's it 's it's not the lack of peace, but it's a definite, uncomfortable feeling. You feel ah, like, what am I doing here? Why, why did I say, what? And you need to get out of it, if you can, as quickly as possible. I've put uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, you can't go around all the time thinking, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You've got to be led by the Spirit within you and trust the Holy Spirit within you. Now, I think we do need to be prepared to back up our claims or responses with Scripture if possible. I mean, if you can't, okay, but it's good. I think it just gives authority to what you're saying. So it's worth learning some that are relevant to situations that you find yourself in. Now, your situations may be different from mine. If you're an evangelist, you'll be wanting Scriptures that uh, tell the person of their need for Jesus. Perhaps something about sin might be a useful one. Uh, but Jesus being uh, the Savior, the forgiveness of sin, and so on but if if you 're doing other things, you may need other scriptures to for you and all, we all need scriptures that comfort us to remind us of our situation. Some of the songs we sang today were reminding us of those. so I thought for a little bit of fun to close, see if you know some scriptures <laughs> when I was first first became a Christian, which was about 60 something years ago uh, at school there's one verse that everyone knew stand up penny please <laughs> john 3:16 so if you do that that's it okay john 3:16 3, 3, so who can recite john 3:16 <laughs> off by heart penny <laughs> no <laughs> so just for the uh, those who can't see this penny has got a, a Shirt on, which says John 3.16. And on the back, it actually says something else. Um, No, it may say that, does it? Right, who wants to go for it? Anybody? Michelle, nice and loud, please. Okay, let's see how that compares to the uh, Scripture. There you go. Not bad at all. And doesn't that just show that sometimes you can remember a Scripture, you can't quite get it right, you know, but you get the gist of it, and that's fine. Uh, Let's try another one. Romans 6. 23 oh dear (laughs) now now the verse has been quoted It's a well-known one but it's not that one (laughs) but does it matter let's try John 14 6 I wonder if anyone knows that one That's a very very well-known scripture John 14 6 I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but by me excellent is that right Of course it is, yes. Well done. Okay, we're coming to the end now. Uh, Does anyone know Hebrews 12, 1 to 2? Oh, Karen, do you know? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. A bit more a bit more? Okay. Fixing our, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> I've always already referred to that, the joy that was set before him. I mean, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that... that would I do that? I don't know. Just trust God will give me grace if it came to it. Okay, we're going to finish now with one more, and we're going to this is going to be a sort of closing prayer. Uh, jude twenty four to twenty five Now that's not two chapters because there's only one chapter in Jude, so it's verses twenty four to twenty five. I wonder if anyone knows there's another very well known scripture. Okay, I think we're going to have to give it to them, George. So let's, uh, there's a sort of a prayer, okay? And we're going to close with this one. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.